Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50 plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So last week, I covered four areas where parental expectations are often too high or where we overestimate our kids and therefore can lead to a lot of frustration. Today, I'm going to cover four common areas where parents' expectations are often too low or where we can underestimate our kids, which can also lead to a lot of frustration later on because Children haven't had the opportunity to build skills that would make them more independent and responsible in order to make parenting easier. So I'm going to get right into these today. The first one is when setting a boundary, trusting that our toddler or child has the skill to work through the tough emotions. We know toddlerhood is full of big emotions, and of course, older kids can struggle too. It's hard to watch them struggle, especially if we can swoop in and just fix it right away. So here's a few examples. A child is struggling to keep their stack of blocks from falling over. Every time they try to get that fifth block on there, the whole thing tumbles over, leaving them more and more frustrated every time it happens, leading to an outburst or even a complete meltdown in some cases. It's really tempting to not go in there and just build it for them. Stop the frustration and the meltdowns or to open a package that they're struggling with, or to help them get dressed if they're struggling. But what we end up doing is rescuing. Any rescuing robs our children of opportunities. In the case of the blocks, it's twofold. It robs them of the opportunity to problem solve and learn the balance and engineering concepts as to why it's not working, but also the opportunity to learn to persevere. It robs them of an opportunity to learn to struggle with those hard feelings. They really need these opportunities, especially while we're still around to help guide them. Life is going to present them with a lot of experiences where they will really need to have those good, strong coping and resiliency skills to pull from. So the time to begin letting them learn to process these big feelings, to get through to the other side, and to learn that they are very capable is starting in toddlerhood. So here's how we can guide them rather than rescue. So in the case of the blocks, it looks like you're really frustrated that the tower keeps falling over. Would you like some assistance? Now, some kids might say no, and this is great. Some kids have a lot of natural tenacity and they're showing that your child is still committed to this process. A lot of times it's actually us as parents that have a much harder time 
hearing our children's big feelings than they're actually having dealing with them themselves. Especially if you already have tendencies of being a fixer or a people pleaser. So this is where recognizing our relational patterns can be really helpful. It helps us break the patterns and helps our children become independent young people with strong inner resources. Now I actually dove into this quite deeply in a two podcast series on freeing children from codependent patterns. So episodes 287 and 288 are those two-part series. So if you recognize that you fall into these patterns of people-pleasing, self-sacrificing, and of fixing things, and haven't heard those episodes yet, those could be really helpful for you. So now what if your child does accept some help? Here's an idea of how to support without doing it for them, without rescuing. Okay, let's problem solve this together. Do you have any idea why it keeps falling over? You want to give your child as much latitude to solve the issue for themselves. A lot of times us just being there saying, I'm here for you. I'm here to support you or walk you through it is just enough for them to calm down and really stop and think about it. So you want to see what ideas your child has. If they don't have any ideas, if they can't come up with anything, you can actually offer a lesson about balance using some of the other blocks, putting them together. See if we put them together this way. See how they're staying stacked? Because they're balanced, because their weight is held with these lower blocks, the blocks on the foundation. Teach it however you feel comfortable. Teach it however, whatever level you feel like they're ready to understand it. So you can help them through that using other blocks, not the ones that they were using. Then you wanna let them try with their stack. If it falls over again, you're gonna model perseverance. That's okay. Every time this happens, we learn where not to put the last block so we can try something different. Or we can look at our stack of blocks to see if there's another way to stack these up to make it so we can make it taller. Obviously, or whatever's going on at the time, you'll scaffold it in that way. You'll help guide them and teach them how to look at it with a problem-solving mind. So another example might be your child really wants something and you say no whether it's something at a store or an unhealthy food before a meal, or your child just didn't eat her lunch, you set a boundary that she had to eat lunch or wait until snack. But now it's 10 minutes after lunch and she's hungry. But then her response gets so big, you really want to just give in to whatever the request is. So allowing your child to deal with the choice not to eat the lunch, and in this case, you can actually re-offer what was for lunch. So if you know this is a standing issue, I can see you don't want to eat lunch right now. Why don't you get down and go play? If you feel hungry in a little bit, we'll bring the lunch back out. This way they know that this is lunch, this is what we're having, and we're not going to be going and having something else a few minutes later. Let's say it's with the toy, the no with the toy or the candy at the store, at the checkout aisle, or the cookie before dinner. Trust that your child has everything she needs to learn to accept her big feelings, process them, and move through them to the other side, without feeling at all responsible for fixing those feelings. So we are responsible to our children to teach them better ways of behaving, to help them get these opportunities so that they can have better ways of responding, but they need the practice. But we are never responsible for their feelings or for fixing their feelings. I can see you're really upset about only having lunch as a food option or not being allowed to have the candy or the cookie or the toy right now. It's hard when you want something you can't have right now. So in the lunch scenario, again, you can reoffer the lunch. Then you let them know, I'm here if you need a hug while you work through these big feelings. 
but this is what we're having, or this is what we can have right now. This is your lunch, and you're welcome to have it if you're hungry. So this does two things. It lets your child know you are there to support her with big feelings, that you're not just going to let her flounder through them if she would like your support. And some kids will take the support and other kids will just work through it on their own if they say no and walk away and are still upset. It's totally fine. Let them go work through it. They absolutely have what they need. They know they have what they need. They need the practice to work through it and it will get better. That big feelings are okay. We need to let our kids know these big feelings are okay. Their brains are still developing. And so we're helping their brains develop. We're giving their brains practice at getting through big feelings and that the boundary that we set stays even regardless of their reaction. That the reaction doesn't mean we're gonna change our answer to the question. This is absolutely important. So a couple more tips for guidance in this area. Like in the second scenario, you can always offer connection as support without rescuing or dropping your boundaries like I already mentioned, but you wanna make sure that it's okay to say, I can hold you, I can help you through this, but you're not gonna drop the boundary or change your mind or change what you already said was the consequence of whatever it was. You're gonna stick with that, but you can be there to help with the feelings. Secondly, we don't wanna use redirection distraction. This is when your child is struggling through a feeling and instead of giving an opportunity to work through it, the adult will try to distract their attention to something new or by trying to be funny But when we do this, we rob them of that opportunity to learn to work through those feelings. It's really important to let them go ahead and work through those feelings and not rob them of that opportunity. And lastly, you can also guide your kids to come to you when they're starting to feel their frustration mounting, when they feel like it's getting too high. So you talk to them about that after they've had this meltdown, you're there guiding them through it. The next time you start to feel really frustrated, why don't you just call to me? Hey, mom, I need some help. Hey, dad. I need some help. Before you get too frustrated, I could come in, we'll talk about it, we'll work through it together. They also can do this with siblings when they get, or friends, if they start to get too teed up about feelings about what they're playing with or things are getting out of hand. They can also call for help in those scenarios. We use this a lot in our house and my kids used to call me to help them work through some of their disagreements. And it was so much easier because I knew I could keep doing what I was doing. And when they called me for help, I could come in and help them without feeling like I've got to get in there and help them before they start getting to blows. So this is something you can do as they get a little older. Around three and a half to four, they get pretty good about being able to do this, asking for your help before they get too frustrated. They start to recognize it when you coach them through this. The second area I see parents underestimating kids' abilities is not giving kids practice at staying home alone. When kids get practice at staying home alone, now this is for parents of a little bit older kids, we're not talking toddlers here, obviously, I'll get to that in a second, but this is one of those areas I see a lot of parents not giving kids any opportunity to stay home alone, but they need this because they get very adept at becoming independent, and most kids will jump at the chance for this responsibility. They get practice making decisions for themselves, what to do, what to make for a snack, getting themselves some water, and really just managing themselves without an adult around. They gain a lot of confidence when they get to practice at managing themselves without their adult around. Now, when is a good age to start giving kids practice? I think around age eight for a lot of kids is a great age, but I'm gonna go through a little checklist so you'll know because kids are gonna be different, of course. Some kids are gonna handle it better at eight. Some kids are gonna need to be a little older. That's probably the earliest age. You start really small though. We're talking five to 10 minutes. You might go over to the neighbor's house to ask them a question, to borrow something. 
Uh, you can run to the gas station or the grocery store for a few things for dinner, assuming the grocery store is really close for you. Where we live, the grocery store was literally right around the corner. It was like two blocks away. It's not really true for everyone. So is our gas station. It was right around the corner. Now, I have an electric car now. So for anybody who has an electric car, um, the gas station is not as relevant <laughs> to everyone these days. But those are some great little errands to get you out of the house for a few minutes to give your children a chance to be alone for a very short time. We had a whole drill for our kids that we would ask every time we went out with and left them home alone. If you need help, whatever reason, if the dogs get out of the yard or whatever, who knows, if they need some help with something, where will you go? Who will you talk to? And they would list off the neighbors in succession, one through five, that they would start with and go to next and next and next. So certainly of those five, somebody will be home. And there were even additional neighbors if they really needed to that they could go to. What do you do in case of a fire? If you want to talk to me, what will you do? Because they could call us on their iPads if they needed to get a hold of us. Which never happened in those short little 5, 10, even 20 minute little errands running around. We never heard from them. But then you slowly take more time away as kids gain confidence. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, then an hour. Call and check in. If you want to, we did, certainly did. Especially when we started going an hour, we'd call every 20 minutes. Hi, how's it going? How's everybody doing? <laughs> Make sure they were getting along and everything was good. They were always doing awesome. And our kids loved this. So they thought this was so cool. The only time they would ever call us was when they wanted us to step in to help manage a disagreement. Okay, so before you do this, before you look into, or before you start planning to do this, you want to look at your state laws. Now, going to the neighbor's house probably won't matter so much, but if you're going to be going out for 15, 20, 30 minutes or more, your state laws will very likely matter. They are all over the place or whatever country you're in as well. You want to know your local laws. Now, some states here in the U.S. don't have a minimum age. They make it very vague because they want to leave it up to the parents to decide based on their own children, their own family, their children's maturity. This is what our state law here in California is. And this is the case in 39 states. The other states will range from six in Kansas to 14 in Illinois. I think 14 is pretty ridiculous if you ask me. So Illinois, I think you need to get with the program, but um, kids need practice before 14 at being home alone. <laughs> but just know the laws in your state or your country before you prepare to start doing this. Now our oldest was about 10, but his siblings were nine. Now, when they were eight, we did go for those quick, like five minute, 10 minutes. But when we started doing something a little longer, the 20 to 30 minutes or more, they were 10 and nine. And our kids were very responsible and they work well together for the most part. They aren't kids who bickered a lot with each other. So it was really quite easy. They were very mature and ready to be left. And we were able to stretch it out slowly and they could gain confidence and we gained confidence in their skill over time. We have yet to leave them overnight. That won't happen for some time, and they're now 13, 11, and 11. Now, they're definitely responsible enough to handle the logistics of it, getting themselves food, getting themselves to bed. They could certainly handle all of that. But I think at least one, if not two, would be uncomfortable with the idea. And that's a really important aspect to consider. So speaking of aspects to consider, here are the four aspects I recommend considering when you are going to leave your kids home alone, whether it's for five minutes or you're stretching it out longer, you want to know or think about whether your child can care for themselves for that duration. So if it's just a quick 
15, 20 minutes, of course, they need to be able to know the basics, where they would go for help, who, which neighbors they would talk to, what they would do in case of a fire, what they would do in case someone came to the front door, that type of thing. You want to have them prepped for that. And then just getting themselves water, a snack if you're going to be gone long enough for them to need to get themselves a snack. Number two, whether the child can follow the rules of the house and make wise decisions. This is very important. Number three, how the child can respond to urgent situations. Are they going to maintain their cool? Are they going to be able to keep a cool head and make good decisions? Or are they just going to stress out and just have this, all this anxiety and not handle the situation very well? And then lastly, of course, the last thing I mentioned um, earlier, how the child feels about being alone in the house. If you have a child and they're just like, no, I don't want to be left alone. And they're 10 or 11 or 12 and they're like, I don't want to be left alone. You need, that's something you need to address and work on and work your way through that so that they can feel comfortable being alone for 5, 10, 15 minutes, a little tiny bit at a time. It's really important that they feel comfortable with that. We don't want them to be scared because we want them to have a good head on their shoulders. We want them to feel comfortable. We want them to be able to make good decisions and they can only do that if they're feeling confident and comfortable. So I'm gonna cover two more areas where we underestimate our kids right after a word from our sponsors. As an adult and a mom of a son, both with ADHD, I know navigating the expectations of life with ADHD can be a challenge. But finding the right care and proper tools needed to succeed can be life-changing. With the right resources, you can turn your ADHD into your superpower. Done is an online ADHD care platform that can get you all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. Online visits, refills, and a 24-7 care team made for you. Starting to take care of your ADHD is as easy as one, taking a one-minute free assessment to see if Done can help. Two, booking an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as today or tomorrow. Three, start receiving ongoing care. Enjoy online visits, personalized treatment plan, worry-free refills, and 24-7 care. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy co-pays as low as $0. Unlock your path to better focus now at get.donefirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn your ADHD into your strength. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. ByHeart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, ByHeart created a clinically proven, easy-to-digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. ByHeart is an easy-to-digest formula. In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. ByHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. 
we're back. The third area where parents often underestimate kids' abilities is not giving kids enough time to work through disagreements, where we're stepping in too early. Sometimes we definitely do need to step in and quickly, but other times, if we just give them a chance, you might be amazed at how quickly kids will go from bickering to cooperation. Kids need this practice to learn to negotiate, to compromise, and to problem solve. So here are some guidelines so that you can leave room for kids, whether they're kids on a play date, peers at the park, or siblings, to work it out and gain these valuable skills when it is appropriate to do so. So first, know the difference between bickering, fighting, and aggression so that you can assess the level of conflict. So bickering are those little squabbles you'll hear between kids. I want to play this. Well, I want to play that. Well, I wanted to play this part. No, I wanted to play that part. You played it last time. Hey, it was my turn to use that. No, you just had a turn. You'll hear it in the middle of imaginative play as they work through the rules of play or during a game when they're working out the rules together or when they're struggling with sharing and turn-taking. Now, you can ignore these so your kids can get practice working things through. If they're just squabbling, they're just bickering a little bit, totally normal, give them a chance to work things through. You can go and stand nearby in case it escalates, but if you always jump in right away, they won't get any practice at working things out and then it's gonna continue. So it won't get better unless they get some practice and learn how to negotiate with each other and cooperate. If you find that it just is really annoying, you actually can leave the room too. I know I said stand nearby, so you can do that if you know that it's going to escalate, but if they tend to bicker and then work it out, you can leave the room. You'll know by your kids, the scenarios, what's going on, which one is going to be the right thing to do at that time, but those are both options. Hanging out nearby, if you're nervous, it's going to escalate, or if it's like, oh, they're bickering for the fifth time today, I can't take this anymore, I'm just going to walk away and let them work it out if they've been able to do so so far, if they're generally pretty good at it with a little bit of time. If we're talking about siblings and you find it's constant, you can also help your kids work on the way that they address one another. You wanna teach them how to share their feelings respectfully, but without solving the problem for them. So let them work through the problem together. You, You coach them on how to share their ideas and their feelings with more respectful tones. So these are some coaching things you can work on if you're seeing a lot of bickering and you're feeling like their tones are being disrespectful. If they start fighting, this is bickering, but when it starts to ratchet up a notch, the yelling gets louder. You can feel the heat of the emotions picking up. Still, you might want to wait just a few seconds and listen. Be close by, be ready, but don't jump in immediately. Give them an opportunity to work it out. Just like with bickering, sometimes your kids will work things out and you want to give them a chance to do so and build their problem-solving skills. So when my three kids were little, like little, little, like toddler, preschool age, I can't tell you the number of times where it started to ratchet up. It started to work into fighting and their voices were getting louder and they were getting a little more heated. And I thought, oh boy, I better get in there. And I would come over and I would be just around the corner. And just in that moment, I'm about to enter the room. They would magically work it out. They would go literally from yelling at each other, being mad at each other to being totally sweet and agreeable somebody figured something out, they figured out a way to cooperate and just boom, it it was like a light switch. So this can happen. So if you just give it that little extra time, that little split second, you might find that they do that. If they don't, get you can get in there, help them work through it, help them problem solve, help them learn how to talk to each other, compromise, negotiate, talk about feelings, talk about needs, 
and compromise. You know, and you can ask each child about their goal in the play and help them come to a resolution. Now, if you're having a play date or you're at the park or you're experiencing bickering between your child and another, a great thing I always like to use with other parents is I'm okay to let them work this through for a few minutes if you are. So this lets the other parent know you aren't going to let it come to blows, that you are readily available to step in and guide and coach with your child, but still give them the opportunity to work through it on their own since they're really just working out the play together. And I love this strategy. I found other parents were almost always more than happy to follow my lead and see how things played out. Nine times out of 10, it would de-escalate in less than like 30 seconds. Very rarely did we need to step in or coach or guide them towards more cooperative play. And actually, funnily enough, half the time, they'd actually drop what they were doing and just decide to go do something else. I remember my kids going like, okay, they'd literally stop fighting and be like, hey, let's just go down the slide or hey, let's go on the swings. They would just stop playing in the sand or whatever it was they were bickering over and go do something else completely different. <laughs> they're, they're actually pretty amazing with this sometimes. If they see it escalating, they're like, you know what? Let's forget this and go do something else. And they just play something new. Okay, the third level of disagreement is aggression. By aggression, I mean both physical aggression and verbal aggression. Verbal aggression can be like name calling or anything that's said in the spirit to be hurtful. In these cases, you always want to take these as a serious matter and intervene every single time. We definitely don't want any aggression, nobody being hurt physically or emotionally by someone's words or someone's um, physical actions. The fourth area where I see parents' expectations too low, and this is pretty common, is when it comes to kids doing for themselves and instead parents consistently overdoing or over-functioning. Now, I use the word consistently here, very intentionally, because of course we all do things for our kids they can do for themselves sometimes. Sometimes it's just easier. Sometimes we're tired at the end of the day. That's fine. It's not like never do something for your child they could do for themselves. Of course we're gonna do that. It's really about being mindful about how often we're doing this, when we're doing it. If we're always doing something for our kids they can do for themselves, this is when we create the issue of an underfunctioning child and we're robbing them of the opportunity to learn skills they will need and are imperative to their independence. But it's not just with physical skills and tasks. I'm going to talk about those, but I'm also going to talk about allowing kids to be responsible for and accountable for their belongings and for their emotions and reactions. So when we think about the journey of childhood from the day we bring them home, they're a helpless infant, to an independent adult ready to handle themselves and their choices in the world, this is a really big difference. This is a huge task. So the last few years, ages 16 to 18, and yes, we are still there for their questions and their guidance past 18, of course we are but we still wanna do our best to prepare them for all the things they'll need to take on as they enter into adulthood. So these last few years, 16 to 18, are going to be things like budgeting, finance, credit cards, taking on their own medical appointments, planning meals, shopping and cooking, so much more. They, they literally, in these last few years, were really getting them ready to be able to handle themselves out in the world on their own. So we want to leave that room in those last two years. We want that buffer there to teach those life skills. It's the final years for finding missing skills. What did we miss or what are they not as strong in as we'd like them to be when they're on their own? We're going to fix, we're going to polish those skills. So we want to leave that room. So that means 
giving them the opportunity to learn and do any tasks they are mentally and physically able to do safely at each age. Because I'll tell you what, it comes up so fast that we definitely want to stay on target, stay on track and let them take on these tasks as they can. Things like getting fully dressed on their own by three or four, handling their own morning routine fully by six, getting up, getting dressed, brushing teeth, getting downstairs for breakfast, packing their own lunches by 10, these types of things, making sure they're able to do laundry, at least some portion of it by 12, teaching them how to do these skills that are gonna be really important. So just for an example, on ways to teach them responsibility for their things. So I'm gonna give this just one example for this one age range because it's a great age range to really start driving some of these things home, but it's gonna be different by age. There's, um, we can go all the way through the ages about how we're gonna teach this. But at age eight and nine is when we can really begin working on teaching responsibility for all of their things, their toys, their games, their clothes, their sporting equipment, not just caring for it, but about putting it away, putting shoes away, putting clothes away at the end of each day, putting their clothes in the laundry, folding their laundry and put it away if it's not dirty, having their room or their playroom cleaned up at the end of every day or whatever you decide once a week, putting bikes, scooters, outdoor equipment inside properly at the end of the day so it doesn't get ruined or stolen, basketballs, whatever it is they like to play with outside. When it comes to their taking responsibility for their emotions and for their reactions to situations at eight to nine these are great ages where we can start to talk about taking responsibility for reactions to situations so this will come up when opportunities present themselves so when your child reacts big to something why did you yell at him and call him a name he may be mad okay these are big lessons and these are big lessons that a lot of adults are not very good at but we want to work on teaching and this will take time, but we want to start pointing out and helping kids understand that they are responsible for their reaction, that no matter what someone does, whether that person is rude, they hit, they grab, that any reaction we have back, that any revenge type of behavior like that is unacceptable, but it is also our responsibility about the way we react to that. That is where we have control and where we have power. We don't have control and power over the way other people react. We do have control and power over the way we react. And so giving them those skills to react in a very mature way, again, eight and nine, starting and moving on by the time they're older, they will be so emotionally intelligent that they will be ready to handle a lot of these things that are going to come up in the world. So we're going to teach them acceptable ways to react instead of unacceptable ones, using their words to describe how they're feeling, why they didn't like something. The other language we want to help with is, he made me feel. This is hard for kids to understand. It's hard for adults to understand too sometimes. But no one else can make us feel anything. That is our reaction to it. No one else makes us mad. We get to decide how to react. Am I going to be mad? Or am I going to stay mad really more? Because being mad is a reaction. Anger is a reaction. But am I going to stay angry? Or can I pull myself back and start to use my skills of my language to talk about how I felt and what I would like, how I'd like this person to react differently the next time or setting a boundary with that person. So helping them with those skills, which is really amazing. Like I said, setting them up to be very successful in life. 
in all areas, in romantic relationships, in friendships, in um, careers, in you know taking on if they work for themselves, taking on clients, having these skills is going to be absolutely um, really important in all of these scenarios. So again, our that our emotions are not another person's responsibility. They aren't responsible for our emotions. They are ours. They are our responsibility to face them, to process them, to deal with them in the appropriate ways. The talks that also start coming into play here are about how life happens and we don't get to blame others. We take responsibility for whatever piece that we have responsibility in. So say their toy broke. What responsibility do they have in that? Did your child leave it outside overnight and it got the sprinklers got on it and ruined it? Did you leave it in the driveway and it got run over by the car? We want to start teaching kids in what ways they are responsible for the outcome of their lives. Now, this is, of course, if we've taught them, we put our bike away every night before we go to bed. Did you put your bike away? You know, and then if they leave it out and it gets run over and they've been taught and they've had that conversation many times, then we're going to talk about that they're responsible for that. If they're five and we haven't talked about it and it gets run over, well, obviously that's a different story. But we're talking about when they're a little older and they are supposed to be responsible for putting their skateboard away, putting their bike away, whatever it is, the scooter, the basketball, whatever gets left out, gets stolen, gets ruined, gets run over. So these talks will go all the way through adolescence. We want to start simple around eight and nine with these conversations and start introducing the concepts, but we're going to keep them going because this is a tough one. Tough one for a lot of, um, again, like I said, a lot of adults, but it's definitely tough at eight or nine to start to understand these. But it's a huge service to them if we start early on these conversations. And the it's not fairs, that's a big one at the age of, age of eight and nine. It's not fair. So talking about fairness and what that means and why it is fair and why we have certain rules. If you want to go more in depth on any of these topics, you're developing toddler or preschooler and tantrums for setting up the strong emotion skills helping your child with anger for setting up those strong emotion skills, siblings without rivalry, helping kids work to become more cooperative and minimize the bickering and the fighting. Raising responsible kids covers leaving kids home alone with a nice big checklist that you'll wanna go through to make sure your kids have certain skills, the things you go through with them, and the process to doing it safely, and making sure your child is emotionally ready, as well as all the life skills that you wanna teach by age of their responsibility for their things, for their emotions and their reactions by age so they can be ready to go out into the world as confident, independent young people. Those are on the website at yourvillageonline.com. If you want to follow on social, I'm at Your Village Online on Instagram where I've been putting out more video tips. You can also follow at Your Village on Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.